Welcome back to the Offstage Podcast. I hope that uh, you have been settling in with us for the past few weeks. Uh, I hope that you're uh, able to pick some things up from this. My name is Scott Thomas, and we're getting the journey together, discovering parts of our Bible that we might not have ever looked at before. Uh, some hidden meanings, messages that inspire and influence and excite uh, our Christian faith, much of which is from the Hebraic perspective, kind of some truths between the lines, some things we've not heard of or never applied, but it was sitting there all along. I hope that that's what you're enjoying. And if you are, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Great to have you. Um, and if you're an old regular now, thank you for being with us. If you'll take and like these or comment or repost these, we would appreciate that as well. Just getting out this free information to empower people's lives. I want us to jump into uh, the, the next next session today. I, I love this. The Bible contains several, several hidden messages. There's messages locked away just below the surface, uh, just out of normal sight, that once you start to dig and unlock these things, you begin to see some, some messaging, some things that's written specifically to us to encourage our faith. For example, in the language, the Hebrew and the Greek for that matter, both languages carry some hidden meanings once you get into the original language that brings deeper and further insight. Also, numbers. Numbers are very important. Throughout the Bible, there's a consistent meaning that goes with numbers. One is the number of God. Two, the number of testimony. Three, the number of the triune Godhead. Four, the number of earth. Five, the number of grace. Six, the number of flesh. Seven, the number of perfection. Eight, the number of new beginnings. We can go on and on as to what these numbers mean. So when you read these numbers being used in the Bible, there's another meaning below that. In fact, rabbis tell us that there are 70 different layers of meaning or understanding below every passage. 70, seven zero. We probably dabble in levels one, two, and three, but there is so much more meaning uh, in those capacities. Names, names have meaning behind them and why those names are there. It's neat to see that. Locations uh, in the Bible have hidden meanings and understanding below those. And I want to talk about one today that we don't typically think of, and that is this, geography. The geography in the Bible actually carries a meaning that we will overlook from our Western uh, 20th century, 21st century perspective. It, 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 we, just, we just don't understand it until we understand it, look at it through proper eyes, biblical eyes, if I could put it that way, to understand it. So turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 8. Exodus 3, 8. And uh, I want us to look at this, at this verse that I think will uh, be a great launch point for us. Here's what it says. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land, there's the word land, into a good and spacious land, there it is again, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, all those ites are living in that land, right? So in this one verse, God is making a promise. He's saying, I'm going to come and deliver my people the Hebrew people, out of Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage. And in this promise, he says it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey where I'm taking them to. But he mentions the word land three times in this promise. Land was very intentional here. And I want to show you hopefully what that is. Let me remind you, Egypt started. How do we get here? Egypt started as a place of blessing for Israel. 
uh, back with Jacob and his sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, rose to become the prince of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream. Uh, Joseph interpreted it. And really what that dream was, was in order to, when a famine was on the way and God gave Joseph the understanding to Pharaoh's dream on how to prevent starving and in fact have enough resource and supply to feed the nations that were around them. And Joseph's family was one of those nations. They moved to Egypt and they were able to eat and they were sustained during a famine. But they stayed. They didn't leave. I would even put it this way. They overstayed a blessing. And when they overstayed the blessing, after God had supplied, they didn't head back to their own land. They assimilated into Egypt. And when they assimilated into Egypt because of the comfort, they had roots down. It was going to be inconvenient. If we leave Egypt, we're going back to a hard place because there's no development. There's no architecture or medicine or facilities like we have in Egypt. If we go back there, it's going to be difficult. If we stay, it's going to be great. It's a lot easier. And so they overstayed the blessing. And when they settled into Egyptian culture, they started to compromise their faith. They were no longer serving the one true and living God. Now they begin to, you know what? I like my, my neighbor down the road. The guy beside me is a cool guy. He worships these gods. There's nothing wrong with that. They're good people. They begin to bring these other little G gods into their life. And now the God of their heart is having to scoot over and share a place in their heart. Because, you know what, life is easy, life is good, we've got food, we've got resources, we're living great, education, medicine, this is good. But in the process of their assimilating because of comfort, they then looked up one day and they found themselves in bondage. And now they find themselves with taskmasters. They had multiple little gods all around them because they assimilated and compromised. But now their pagan ways, Israel, their pagan ways, now God was no longer exclusive in their life. And it had really led them into a place of bondage where now they have taskmasters. Now they are literally being forced into slavery and they're, uh, they're being driven. They're no longer enjoying that life. They're in a, they're in a difficult place here. I want, you, I want to make a point here. Anytime you and I begin to compromise our faith, Anytime we begin to allow anything or anyone begin to take the throne beside God, we are sliding into a place of bondage in our life. There's a place of comfort. There's a place of joy. There's a place of blessing. But anytime I begin to choose comfort over growth, anytime I begin to choose a place of what feels good to me versus what is good for me, I'm sliding into a place where I can be owned and I can be driven in life instead of enjoying a life that God intended for me. And you have to understand, God has an attitude. He thinks he's God. <laughs> and God's attitude is this, I'm God and I'm not sharing the throne of your heart. I will be your one true and only God. There is no God besides me. That was God's attitude. And that should be our attitude. The book of James uh, verse 4 says this, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. When I know to do right, but I choose to do wrong, it's sin. Uh, what does sin mean? And that's a word that we don't talk about a lot because we don't want to offend people. But ladies and gentlemen, we're offending God. We need to talk about these things so we don't walk that path. Sin literally means to miss the mark. There's a target we should be shooting at, and we're off target. We're, on, we're off, the, off the whole map. If we know to do good and choose not to, we've missed the whole ballgame. In fact, listen to what happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. 
Elijah, the prophet of God, goes into the land and he's speaking to all of Israel. And it says, Elijah, this is 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. The people were caught between God and Baal. Who are we going to serve? Because there was two gods they were trying to allow to run their heart. And let me tell you, the moment we try to put someone beside God is the moment that God leaves the throne. God might be in our heart, but in our mind, but never in our heart. And we have to make sure that God is exclusive in our life. He gets my focus. He gets my best. He gets, he's the only one that gets my attention, my loyalty, my love, my pursuit. Because Israel had lost their way, paganism had also infiltrated their life. The Bible says they were crying because the taskmasters and the slavery, what was comfortable and fun, now became difficult and began to own them. It was costing them. And the Bible says that God heard them, and he was coming down to rescue his people. And so uh, you know the story. He calls Moses and sends Moses in to change this. But I want you to know something. In, In Genesis 15, God made a promise to Abraham when he was first telling Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, but I want you to understand your nationality, your nation that's coming out of you, Abraham. I'm going to bless them, but they're going to go through three things. They're going to be strangers in a strange land. They're going to be slaves, and they're going to have taskmasters. He told them this in Genesis 15. This is coming, but I'm going to bring them out. Now we're in Exodus, the next book, and what God promised Abraham has actually taken place. Now they've been in bondage. They've got their strangers. They don't belong in the land. They belong in their land, but they're in Egypt. They're being enslaved, and they've got taskmasters that are beating them in order to get work out of them. So now again, Exodus 3.8, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice something here. The word says he's going to bring them into a spacious land. That, that word is so intentional because the actual uh, uh, root of uh, in the meaning of the word Egypt is a small, confined, limited place. In other words, whenever we move into places and we're there for a moment, but we overstay a place of blessing and we don't get out, we begin to assimilate and all of a sudden compromise our values and our faith in the one true God immediately our world begins to get smaller. We get confined. There's no more dreaming. There's no more laughing. There's no more reaching. There's no more accelerating. There's no more growth. I am being confined, limited, and owned. And God said, I want to bring you out of a small place and take you into a large and spacious land. See, these words are so intentional. There's meaning behind just these words that we don't look at. It it sounds like geography, but there's even so much more behind that. I want to take you into a spacious land. I want you to understand something. The moment you and I begin to compromise our faith, our world gets small. But when we focus our heart and life on God, things get big. Dreams become alive again. God wants us to hyper-accelerate our life, but he's got to bring us out of our own Egypts so that we can go into our promise as well. He wasn't just making a promise to Israel. He was making a promise to you and to me. Keep your focus on me, and I'll make your life large, and I will be in charge is what God was telling him. So I'm, I'm loving this promise. And he said, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, let me give you the keys to this message here real fast to to this verse. Geography was the illustration that God was using to teach them trust. Let me say that again. 
Geography was the illustration. Trust was the message or the lesson. God said, I want you to learn to trust me. These are the two things that are going on. Let, let me explain it to you this way. Again, we're talking about geography, the meaning, the understanding, the hidden message behind the geography. In Egypt, Egypt was a plains area, very flat. Uh, Egypt was, was, it didn't, wasn't mountainous, very plains oriented, and it had three different river sources, water sources running through it. You had the Nile, you had the, the Tigris, you had the Euphrates River all running through that would feed the plains with the water necessary to grow the crops, to have the herds of whatever you, uh, you, you out there, sheep, goats, whatever that looked like, there was plenty of water. In other words, if it didn't rain for a certain amount of time, it was really not a big deal. We can actually irrigate water from these other water sources and we can feed our flocks. We can, we can water the land. We can still take care of this. And they did. That's what happened in Egypt. Uh, even if there was a drought, they had water stored. They had pools, rivers. They had the water they needed to be sustained through that time. In, in the promised land that God was taking Israel to, he was actually taking them out of the flat plains area and he took them into mountainous areas. Israel today is extremely mountainous all over. There's mountain ranges running all through uh, the nation of Israel today. And the water source for Israel is interesting. The water source is going to be down low. You're going to have the, the uh, lake or the sea called the sea, but it's actually the Lake of Galilee on the northern end of Israel. And then you've got the Jordan River that runs through the bottom, through the valley part. There's a dead sea, but you can't drink that, so that's not even a water source. So you've got two main water sources that were there, the, the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. But other than that, you don't have any other water source. God is moving Israel from a plains area where there's three different water sources to a mountainous area where you don't have a water supply. The only true water supply you're going to get living on mountains is going to be the rain that falls daily. Daily rain versus rivers and reservoirs and pools of water you can draw from when you want to. Are you seeing this? One thing, if you're living in the plains, I'll get water when I want to. I get to control it. But if I'm living in the promised land, I have to depend on God to bring the water. Now it's daily provision I'm depending on. It's no longer I've got plenty. I can depend on me. And by the way, I'll serve all the other gods because my life is so comfortable. All the resources I need, I'll acquire them when I want to. But now God moved them from that and he moved them to the mountains where he said, I need you to learn to depend on me more. Depend on me exclusively. I will be your God, and you're going to have to trust me. You see, this was, this was tough because Israel was a shepherding nation. They were a nation that had herds of sheep, had herds of goats. Uh, that's what they raised. And when they got to Israel, the Bible gives us a listing of the other nations that were already living there. The Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, all the other mightyites are all living in the land, and they also had some pagan gods that they worshipped. In fact, for example, the god of Baal. We mentioned that a few minutes ago in 1 Kings with Elijah. The god of Baal was a very well-known god because he was called the storm god, the god that would bring rain. And, 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 and so they worshipped him 
hoping that the rain would fall to feed their flock as well as to water uh, their, their lands because they were farmers. Again, these people were farmers, and Israel, they were shepherds. So when Israel comes in and finds this land the way it is, and they met these people, they learned to not just be nomadic where they moved around chasing the grass with their flocks, but they learned to be more sedentary, and they began to settle in and do some farming as well. They're learning this agricultural capacity from these people. And they then found themselves, Israel found themselves, depending on we need God to bring the rain. But if he doesn't, let's worship some of these other gods as well uh, just to make sure that we got a backup plan. So they begin to play and toy with the idea of worshiping Baal because now they had a daily need. They went from having a multiple supply plenty to now it's day by day by day. And Israel was dealing with some tough times because... There were dry seasons in this region they were living in now. Uh, look at this. This, this. this would mess with my head. We were in a land of plenty in Egypt, but God brought us out of land of plenty, and he moved us into, into a land of scarcity. This was God's promise for us. But don't forget, it was in a land of plenty that I was in bondage. It's in a land of scarcity that I'm in the promise. Are, are you seeing the struggle? And it's all connected to the geography. God said, I'm going to move you geographically to a different location that's going to put you in a corner where you're going to learn to just trust and depend on me. You see, here, here's, here's it, was, it was daily dependence for crops, daily dependence on rain for the flocks. This was what they were doing, going through day in and day out. They were unsure of God's supply. And they, what it really shows is they had forgotten the promise that God made them, that the land he would take them to would be flowing, flowing abundance of milk and honey. Now think about those two words, milk and honey. You, you, you hear people talk about the land of milk and honey, and we use that as, a, as just a, a phrase to describe when there's plenty or there's good. But understand, God was talking about creating plenty in a place of scarcity. Because in order to have milk, Think about this. There had to be enough rain to water the hillsides so that the, the, the flocks could actually eat enough grass and produce milk. This, these were, this milk would have come from goats. So goat milk was going to be provided by water where the goats could drink enough and the goats could eat enough. There was enough water rain falling to produce that. As well as honey. Honey was not the honey bees. Honey would probably more so come from date trees. Trees and agriculture that was growing throughout the land that they could make from. Even today there's a lot of date trees all through Israel. Uh, and so those trees also had to be watered in order to produce the fruit to make the honey. What God was saying is I'm going to take you out of a place where you think you have enough you're not depending on me. I'm going to take you into a land that it's scarce with these resources, but I'm going to provide in such a way that it'll be flowing with milk and honey. Everything you need for your flocks, everything you need for your crops. I've got you covered while you're living in a mountain. I'm going to absolutely defy the odds. I'm going to do for you and take you to a place you should not be able to live this good in this place. But because you're mine and because you're depending on me, you're going to absolutely boggle minds with how good I am to you. People are going to look at you and say, how are you living that good? Why do you have that? Why are you living so well? You don't make that much money. Your, 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 your salary isn't that great. Your education wasn't that great. But my God said that he would take me out of a small place into a large 
storage place and he would supply so that I am flowing with everything I need in life. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? All of a sudden, Exodus 3, 8 is no longer just about Israel. It's about you and me as well. He's going to supply and meet our need. Why? Because Israel was watered in bondage, but Israel was dependent in their freedom. I want you to get that. In their bondage, they had plenty of water, but in their freedom, they became dependent on God again, which makes us redefine what the word blessing actually means. Blessing, therefore, may not actually mean a place of abundance, but blessing is anything that makes me learn to trust God more. Anything that draws and connects my heart to God is actually a place of blessing. That's why you and I will talk about we've been through some of the most difficult things in life that we never would have chosen, but I wouldn't change it for anything because I grew. Something happened in me there where something was strengthened. I learned to trust God. I had to pray through that season. I didn't know how I was going to come out of this or come out of that, but God showed up and he provided rain in a dry season. And I know, like nobody else knows, how faithful God can be. You see, abundance can bring our bondage because we don't have need for God. There's, you don't hear many people saying, man, I just won the lottery and I just want to give my heart to Jesus. There's not many people that think that way because once I've got resources, all of a sudden I don't need God anymore, right? That's how we think in our humanity. But difficulty and need somehow keep us dependent on God and brings true freedom in our life. Listen to what Matthew chapter 5 says. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they would be filled. What about Matthew? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep him first. What about this? When they asked Jesus, how should we pray? He said, give us this day our daily bread. Can I remind you that provision is a daily thing? It's not a weekly thing, a monthly thing. It's a daily thing. That's why just like Israel would get to the mountaintop in their promise and they're having to pray for daily rain to take care of them, you and I need to pray for daily provision, daily strength, daily peace. God wants to provide daily in our life so that we can be flowing with milk and honey. So here's what I want you to know. If God promised it, he's going to provide it. Even if the terrain, even if the land you're in, even if the situation you're in right now looks dry and it looks impossible, if God took you there, then God is going to provide for you there. So no compromise. Keep your faith focused on him. Number two, stay dependent on God. Don't, don't bring other things into your world. Don't let stuff infiltrate. Don't go back to a past. There's comfort in your past. There's growth in your future. Don't choose comfort over growth. So no compromise. Stay dependent on God. Number three, trust God's promises. If he promised there's a land flowing with milk and honey out of a small place into a large place where blessing is flowing in ways that you never could explain it, but he does it daily, he's going to do it and then expect the promises to flow, not trickle, not drizzle, not drip, to flow. God said your land will be flowing in provision and everything you need. I want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through, wherever you are, whatever the struggle, you might seem like it's a difficult place. That place can actually be the greatest blessing in your life and actually be a place of promise because God will take us out of places where we're self-dependent and bring us into places where we're more God-dependent. And in those moments, we discover who God is to us and find out that he is actually good, that if he has a vision for my life, he also has provision for my life. Whatever you're going through right now, 
Talk to him. Trust him. Daily. Daily dependence. Daily strength. He's good. He sees. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And he's going to provide just the way he said he would. I'm so glad that you've joined us for the podcast today. I hope and pray that this has spoken to your heart the way that it has mine. He's taken us into a land of blessing and increase, and your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. Keep trusting God. Let's clean clean out our heart. Stop the compromise. Get our focus back on Him and watch Him provide in ways that turn your desert areas into a flow of provision that people around you, your family, can't understand how you're living so good. Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the rest? Where's the blessing coming from? It always happens when you put your trust in God. He's faithful. Take this and repost this if you don't mind. Help our friends around to know about the podcast going on. If it's encouraged your faith like it's encouraged mine, let's spread the word. Thanks so much for checking out the Offstage Podcast. I hope you have an amazing day and an even better week. We will be back with you next week, same time. 